Hello, and welcome to the Inside the Orange podcast. to another episode of the Inside the Orange podcast. Firstly, I want to say a massive thank you to last week's guest, James Lindsay, who spoke about mental health and Watford Football Club. If you haven't caught the episode yet, then please, please check it out. The links will be in the show notes and description. So my guest today is known as a cage rattler. And when I met Dr. Bridget Cooper, I was inspired to know more about what she does and why she is known as a cage rattler. And so she's on the Inside the Orange podcast today and we're gonna open up that cage and we're definitely gonna be rattling it. So before we get into the interview, here's how you can get in touch with the podcast. To get in touch with the podcast, you can find us at insidetheorange.co.uk. You can email us at insidethisorange at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Orange Watts, Orange W-H-A-T-S. On Instagram, Inside the Orange. On the Inside the Orange podcast Facebook page. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Richard Stevens, motivational speaker and creator of the Inside the Orange. All these links will be available in the description and show notes. So my guest today, I'm so excited to be interviewing someone that's called a cage rattler. And I think in this day and age, it's so incredible that we do start rattling some cages. So I'm honoured to say Dr. Bridget Cooper joins us on the Inside the Orange, Orange podcast today. How's your day been so far? Uh, my day got just better a couple of minutes ago when I got on the air with you. I, uh, it's going pretty well. I'm in the middle of a kitchen renovation, if anyone's ever taken that on. It is... Uh, fraught with challenges and uncertainties and you know problem solving but uh the end result is always where we need to focus our attention so today right now i am immersed in here so i don't have to think about what's going on over there so how are you doing today i'm very good and i'm pleased that i'm a happy distraction i think that's quite a good way to be today very happy distraction i was like yes i get to talk on the inside the orange podcast today instead of thinking about the fact that i don't have a sink so this is this is perfect (laughs) so uh, we're gonna get to my favorite terminology from you or cage rattling we're gonna get to that but tell us about you tell us who dr bridget is wow well it's hard to describe myself without using cage rattler but i you know i um I am a mom. I am a friend. I am a professional uh, working with people and corporations in trying to alleviate suffering and increase abundance and really finding the joy, even in the frustrating moments that we find ourselves here in life. And I, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just a friend and a companion on this journey we call life brilliant stuff and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna allow it now so come on let's open the cage what is the cage rattler all about come on tell us 
So, okay. So years ago I had a, a colleague who was challenging me on my business and trying to get me to really step into the, the fullness of the contributions I could make in the world. And she said, you know, what are you? And I said, a consultant or a coach, you know, and now if you turn around, you, you bump into five coaches before you, you know, you get to the, the corner. And so, and I had started my coaching business, you know, a decade and a half ago. So it, it seemed I felt like I was being lost in that shuffle. And so I thought, what am I really? And I was driving. Most people have their greatest, you know, inspirational thoughts when they're in the shower. Not me. I can't think of anything but not getting soap in my eyes. But when I'm driving, I get some really inspiring tidbits. And I was driving one day, listening, jamming out to probably Fleet of Mac or something. And I thought, cage rattler. That's what I am. I'm a cage rattler. Like I rattled the cages that people are trapped in that they have the key to, but they don't even know where to find it. And I help them. I let them see that they're in a cage, that they're like trapped in this thing of their own making or the making of others that they've allowed to kind of still take hold around them. And I help them find the key so they can get out. And so it's, it's a, um, it's an awakening because my, my catchphrase is awareness equals choice and choice equals power. So in order to have you like tap into your own power, you have to become aware of the cage that you're in and you have to figure out where to find that choice, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. But so where does it come from? Is it a social thing? Do we get put in cages or do we put ourselves in these cages? Where does it start? I mean, I feel like it starts in the earliest of experiences, which is that, you know, when we are born into family systems, right, we get a certain image of ourselves and other people and how things are kind of connected. And we start defining ourselves and other people in ways that either constrict our growth or unrestrict our growth. And so those cages are just basically the definitions that we've created around us that stop us from being able to see life in a more free, open, um, you know, passionate way. So I think it's, yeah, maybe some of it's societal. There are certain societal constructs that stop us from, you know, kind of stepping outside of some of those cages, but often it's just how we've decided to define ourselves in relationship to other people in the world. And I remember, I mean, we spoke before when we were setting this up, yeah. we, had a, we had a fantastic chat. and We did. We should have recorded that. We yeah. should have done it. That could have been part one and now we're in part two. That's right. Um, but we, we talked about how close it is, but you're not a therapist, are you? But how, how, do, you, how do you draw the line of helping people right. without becoming a therapist? Can you talk? Yeah, this? I love elaborating on this. So, you know, my moniker um, is Dr. B. And my doctorate's actually in educational leadership, but my master's degree is in marriage and family therapy. And I got my doc my master's degree in marriage and family therapy back in the late 90s. And I never sought licensure. I ended up working on the administrative side of marriage and family therapy education and then went back into student affairs and got my doctorate in educational leadership. So I'm trained as a therapist, but I'm not licensed as a therapist. And I see a very clear distinction on that because licensed therapists go through continuing education credits. They are, you know, monitored by, you know, state and federal agencies. You know, they have a lot of things that are helping them to refine their craft and make sure that they're able to diagnose and to treat a multitude of psychiatric, um, you know, disorders and, and challenges. That, that is not what I do. 
However, because I was trained as a therapist, I have therapeutic interventions and a therapeutic mindset and a filter through which I see people and can help equip them for the changes that they're trying to make. Many of my clients who are challenged with you know, long-term trauma or anxiety disorders or depressive disorders, they also have a therapist with whom they speak about those things and who monitor their, you know, whether it's medication or, you know, other forms of therapy that assist them in alleviating some of those struggles. Whereas working with me, we're very much goal directed in shifting communication patterns, thought patterns, you know, relational patterns that are very tactical, practical, and goal goal oriented, which some therapy feels like that. But again, I, as I, I said, you know, when I talked about it, talking with a friend, a friend can be very therapeutic. Talking with me can be very therapeutic. Talking with you can be therapeutic, but it's not therapy. And there is that distinction. So I try to make sure that I'm not, you know, giving anybody the impression that just because I am educated as a therapist, that I can function as a therapist. I, I will not I will not disparage or diminish the contributions of my colleagues who are therapists by saying that that's who I am. No, no, no. I think that's very fair because, you know, yeah. I, yeah, we, we discussed this and I remember yeah. a friend of mine when I started the podcast got me a, 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 a cup that says podcast and my therapy because like you said, a conversation yes. is therapy to someone. It is that point. But for trained therapists and people who are governed and, and made sure they're doing it, right. you, you do have to give that kind of awareness of them don't you really it's absolutely yeah because I wouldn't want someone you know I've actually taken intake calls from people who have told me about you know severe psychological distress that they've been under and they ask me if I can coach them and my first question is are you working with a therapist and oftentimes you know they'll assign a release for me to actually speak to their therapist to talk about the work they're doing and it can be helpful to have a team approach because I'm working on very I'm, I'm working on much more surface level you know, kind of things, whereas therapists may dig deeper because again, they have the, the licensure and the accreditation and the training and practice, um, that I do not have. So I, I, you know, I, I like to make sure I keep that line real clear. So with, with this kind of thing, so this is very much on an organizational level. So it's, mm-hmm. it's when people work in businesses, obviously what, so, and, and one of the things I do like you saying is you, you, you treat organizational diseases. Now, can you just <laughs> clarify what that was? Because again, when we first spoke, it, it, for me, it feels like when, when businesses are wrong, it's not always that case, is it? There's, there's more to it than my business doesn't understand me. Is that fair? Right. So, you know, when people come together, whether they're in family systems or organizational systems, there is distress because people have, I mean, I teach, you know, conflict and negotiation at the graduate level. There are challenges in interacting with other people and we don't hang up what I call our crazy at the door, you know? So if we grew up in a dysfunctional family system and we have crazy relationships outside of work, we don't walk into work and like, woo, everything's good. We're clear. I mean, I talk to people, there's so much stress happening at work because of the way that we're interacting with one another. And it's because we're all bringing our own frameworks, our own distresses, our own stresses, our depression, our anxiety, our, 
you know, functional communication patterns, whatever those things are into the workplace. So for me, what I go in and do with an organization or with a, a team is to help them figure out what those like diagnose that, that condition, like what's going on, what's distressing people, where, where communication, um, you know, systems breaking down, where organizational systems not uh, working, you know, for the good of the organization and the people in it, and then treat those things so that they can work better because, you know, the problem is kind of a cyclical, cyclical thing. You come into work, if you have a dysfunctional you know, work system, you're going to bring that stress home. You have stressful home life, you're going to bring that to work and round and round it goes. And there's a lot in my fourth book I did called Power Play, where I talk about the cost to organizations of having the stressful conditions that people are under, whether it's at work or at home or both. It's costing organizations billions of dollars a year. And so having someone who's coming in and looking at the organizational health of, of people, it helps diminish those, those costs, both, both monetary and otherwise. And I think what, uh, a question that kind of springs to my mind from that is, yeah. do, you, do you go in, is it necessarily a problem or is it a, a time that you can go in and health check places and make sure things don't get too out of hand is that something you're proactively doing or yeah it, I mean Dr. B? <laughs> it's kind of like uh, and if I can be so um sexist as to say it's like men and doctors you go when you've got big problems right so most people are calling me not at their annual physical time they're calling me when the ship is going down right so sure I love to be proactive and and kind of keep people up at this point but I find it's like any other kind of treatment people wait until they're hitting their almost rock bottom before they're like uh help SOS so I'm usually coming in when things need to be triaged the exception to that are really smart leaders who are bringing me in because they're they're coming into a leadership position they've either been elevated or reorganized or transferred and they want to set a cultural norm with their organization, with their team. And they bring me in to launch that. It's called, the practice is called leadership assimilation, which is assimilating a leader and its team together so that they can work more constructively with one another. So that is, is when they bring me in at the beginning. Now, truth be told, of course, that's not the origin of the organization. So there's all sorts of unhealthy things probably going in as the leader's coming in and they have to figure out how to manage it but at least it's at the beginning of their trajectory and helps them set that tone properly to be able to have the most um, healthy organization they can. And again, I'm going to ask a bit of a loaded question here, but <laughs> my favorite kind, yeah. <laughs> the organization, again, I'm, I'm asking you to talk on behalf of the organization, which might not be very fair, but do, do you think it's a thing about weakness? Is it a thing of showing weakness that they, they let themselves get to this position or is maybe is, yeah i mean i you know speaking on the behalf of the organization the organization is just a, a combination of people right leaders and, and followers and the like and so i think really it's about you know it's kind of like um you know when you look around your house and all of a sudden you spring a leak somewhere right and you go and you look at it and the plumber comes in and they're like this thing has been rusting for five years and you're like didn't notice i was kind of busy take doing the laundry taking out the trash you know feel, like I just didn't notice. I, I, I saw it. I heard something, but I was like, later, later. And I think that's what a lot of, of, of groups of individuals do is they're just like, 
later, a little later. And that's what they're, they're struggling with. It's not about trying to not do the thing that they want to do it or need to do. It's just that they're too busy doing other things. You know, they're, they're, they're killing other prey, you know, and they haven't seen this other threat over here um, off to the side. And, and that's a, a very good analogy. We don't always see, you know, we can't see everything, can we? We can't be everywhere every single part of the day, can we? You know, so right. it's, it's important. You're you're currently undergoing a, a kitchen renovation that obviously needed to be done. Yeah, like real one. time, like they're relocating a thermostat as we speak. I'm seeing them in the other room. I'm like, they're looking at the wall. Something's happening. So yeah, absolutely. Real time. So, and you're and you're still going. You're still pro, and you're still going and, and getting it done. <laughs> Doing my best. Why my headset's in, and you're not on speakerphone. So there, there you go. <laughs> no, no. But it shows we we all have challenges in life. We all have things that we mm-hmm. have to balance, and sometimes things take priority, don't they? You know, in, in things like that, and you you have to deal with them. You know, which amen. Is, absolutely. So. One thing I liked was your, I like a lot of your things, sorry, but something that stuck out to me as well. Is the- you can only like one thing. That's fine. You can have just one. It's fine. As long as you really love it. Oh. If you really, really love it, we'll let you have just one. Okay, oh, go, but go ahead. Yeah. No, no. Well, it is free thing. So it was a very, it was, it was the best way to start an interview question. Overcoming attitudes, tactics, and patterns. That's what your work is. Yes. How, how do you kind of, how does that work then? So I'm, I'm really trying to understand what you do and, and how right. you do it, but where, where, where does the attitudes come from? Is it, is it negative attitudes? Is it the wrong attitudes or is it just building great attitudes? Right. So, um, and I apologize if you just heard that drilling in the background. So um, I think it, for me, it's about that. It goes back to that um, tagline of awareness equals choice and choice equals power which is to say that in order for me to help you figure out what it is that is going wrong in your life, because most people come to me with a symptom, right? Like my marriage is on the rails. I've gained a bunch of weight. I'm not getting promoted. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I've had high turnover in my team, whatever it is, right. They're coming to me with the symptom. They're not coming to me with the problem. So the first thing that you have to do when someone comes into you and they've got like a, a you know, a pain in their side or whatever is, is do some diagnostics. So for me, I'm the diagnostics are not just me. They're, they're the person I'm talking to, like, well, tell me where exactly where the pain is. Like where, what's been happening before? When does this shown up before? What have you tried? And once we figure out where the issue is coming from, we kind of diagnose the problem. I might throw something at the wall. I'm like, what I'm thinking is maybe this, does this fit? How does this land? And people say, absolutely not. That's not the case or whoa, you know, mind blown. That's absolutely what's going on right now is that's the first step is creating that diagnosis, that, that, that chain that tells me where it comes from. And once I know where the issue is coming from, then we can start building um, awarenesses about how people got there. So one of the things I talk about in Pain Rebel, which is my latest book, is about contracts, is that when we are children and you know into our young adulthood, we sign what I call contracts, which is basically, I agree to believe this thing about myself and other people, and I'm going to operate under these conditions because this is what I believe to be true. And until we see it as a contract and not as a truth and realize that we can break contracts truths are unequivocal, right? We can then break the contract and find a new one. So if we believe that, you know, love must equal suffering, that's a contract. That's not truth. So we can break the contract and say, no longer do I believe that. I believe that, you know, love can mean something else. Then I can work on that contract and abiding by that contract and not having our behavior go off of a, of a contract that doesn't work for us. So that's kind of how the 
the work looks, if that makes sense. No, no, 100%. And um, again, I love the idea of of breaking it away. One thing that I, I, and I think this is why you're a great guest for the podcast, is that I want to... um, I want to celebrate the differences of people, but I also want to appreciate the similarities. And one kind of question is that is, do you have, do you have this time where you have, you you see everyone comes to you and thinks they are the only one with that problem. They're the only one living that life or, but actually you like you say, you can diagnose it because there's examples of it out there. Is that, is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. People all the time. They're like, I must be the only one. I'm like, I wish you were, but you're not, you know, like most people think they're because we keep secrets, right? We keep shame is the thing that keeps us away from being able to make other people aware of the thing we're struggling with. So they hide it. And in that shame, they believe that they're the only one struggling with it, but that's absolutely not the case, right? There is always someone else who's dealing with that, right? And that's, that's just the, that's just what happens. So if you have, um, if you think that you're the only one, know that you are absolutely not, you may have the particular things like the, the circumstances, like, you know, you know, parents divorced at this age, or I, you know, developed, you know, this at this age or whatever this is, those particular things may be fairly unique, but the the way that you've related to it, the, the things that you've done with it, the behavior patterns that you've developed, nope. You know, I like to say you're, you're, we're just not that special. Like there are just some things that connect us all that we, we have a lot more in common than we don't for sure. And just going back, and I want to get into your books in a minute, but you talked about the contract yeah. and is it a case that you, you, when you say you break a contract, is it something that, is it a goal that you have to kind of work towards? Is it something you can just completely say, right, we're getting rid of that? Or do people have to take a kind of step program to to get to that point? Is it a, is it a straight break or is it a, a bit of work sometimes? I think it depends on the person. I find it's like two steps forward, one step back. So what happens is people are like, I'm not going to live by this contract anymore. So they write down their old contracts, they write down their new contracts, right? And when we talk, I they and they tell me an example of something they struggled with this week. I'm like, and I tilt my head, you know, on the on the call, they can kind of hear it. And I say, uh, what contract is that? They're like, oh, old contract, right? So it's this repetitive, because again, people get to me when they're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, right? They've been working these contracts for a real long time. Like they have behavior patterns. They have entire like households built on that foundation, you know? And so they have to go back and actually challenge that in a way that is uncomfortable and unfamiliar. So they have to keep repeating that and finding like, okay, I'm in this situation. I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to not walk in the same door I walked into before. I'm going to walk in a different door. Like I got to, I got to break that groove. And so it takes a lot of repetitive committed action toward living by the new contract. So in a sense, it's a clean break that they've decided they're going to live by the new contract, but it doesn't mean that their behavior and their feelings follow that that quickly. They have to keep doing it over and over again. And, and are there any kind of signs? So if someone's listening today and mm-hmm. their ears are pricked up and going, hang on, this is because, is there, any, right. is there any kind of thing that would say, give you a call tomorrow? Is there kind of, you know, do you know where I'm going with that? Is there? No, keep going. Yeah, keep going. So obviously people, we... If people are listening and they, they yeah. start to feel, hang on a minute, a lot of what uh, Dr. B is saying, that, that makes lots of sense, but I don't think that it's me. What, what is that first step? What is that first step of realising that they might need you in, in, their, in their life? I, you know, listen, first of all, I think everybody needs me in their life. I'm just kidding. But um, I, I, I think, 
I think that what, what tell, it's not necessarily about me. It's, do they need, um, pain alleviated in their life? Do they feel like their life is something more that they're trying to survive or that they're thriving in? If there's, if there's an aspect or more than one aspect of their life that they feel like they're trying to survive, they, they could use some pain rubble. They could use some pain rubble because pain rubble is going to help them identify those areas in which they are struggling and they're feeling like life is something that they have to survive and help them identify the contracts that are holding them in that position. That's the, that's the trigger point. And for most people, it's most of us, right? Like that we have that. I have not met a person, no matter how healthy, that has not had a contract that has been undermining their growth, development, success, abundance, joy. Everyone has at least one contract in there. It might be subtle. It might be kind of in the background. It's like whispering in the wind, but it's there. And if they could identify it and decide to break it and make, you know, a consistent purposeful action to do that. Yeah. They could be a whole lot happier, a whole lot better, a whole lot more successful. So what kind of success do people look at when they leave is is it all organizational do you see and again I'm being very careful because of the therapy kind of area but do you see people going look my my life is better or my job is better is it is oh. it how 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 big is that right everything everything's better so you know when people work with me um you know if they're working with me on the in the professional realm so I work with both individuals and in in organizations so if they're meeting me at company ABC they're taking that information and they're taking it home. I have a lot of people who see me in a professional realm and they contract with me on a personal realm because they want to actually dig deeper into the stuff that's going on in their personal relationships. Cause again, they're, they're, they're one and the same in, in a lot of ways. And then I have a lot of people who work with me individually who are then bringing me into their companies. They're like, we need Dr. B because I'm solving this stuff over here, but y'all need to fix this system. Right. So then, you know, so we work on the system. So what I find is that if the transfer of those, those skills is such an easy transfer, it's not like there's personal Bridget and then there's professional Bridget. I mean, sure, there might be some things that I do professionally or some ways that I show up professionally that I might not show up personally and vice versa, but I'm the same human being. I have the same kind of thoughts, filters, you know, challenges, you know, belief systems in both places. So if I change one and I improve one in one place, it's going to transfer to the other place. Well, I think that's important because I think, you know, if you, like you, you, you said it earlier on, you know, you, you, your work and your home life isn't that much different because you are the same person, regardless right. what door you walk through, like you said, which is, which is really important. So, right. you know, but I just think sometimes that we just get that point where we think, no, I've got my work self and I've got my home self and never the two shall meet but they clearly do, don't they? <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, like, I mean, so many of my executive clients are struggling or recovering alcoholics or have had, you know, significant trauma in their histories and are trying to move through it, who are, you know, struggling at work because they're struggling at home. You know, they're going through a divorce or their spouse is unfaithful or their kid is in, you know, mental health care or, you know, whatever, like, you know, their, their parents are dying. Like it's all, we're just human. We're just bringing that humanity. And I think when organizations recognize the humanity of their workforce, they can, they can better embrace some of the support systems that will help their, their company to be more profitable. Like it's there, there's a, there's a proven connection between those two things that the health of the individual 
creates the health of the company and the unhealth of, you know, the individual creates the unhealth of the company. It's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not a big leap. Okay. And I, I said I wanted to get on your books, but I've got one more other question that I wanted to ask. Okay. You, but okay. <laughs> it just keeps coming up. But uh, yeah. one, one of the things I love again, I keep saying that, but your mission to change the world one life at a time. Yes. Right. Yeah. Fantastic mission. Now, does that Thank mean you. you've got 8 billion customers to see in this world or 8 million people that need to see you? Or do you think that by seeing one person can actually then affect families organizations is that how it does your work yeah i mean i need ambassadors of you know of goodwill right so um i i believe in that butterfly effect right that a you know butterfly flapping its wings you know in in one space creates a you know um an effect you know around the world i believe that that's true you know you know that if you you know get honked at on your way into work you might honk at the next person or you might, you know, right. So it has like a ripple effect. So by the time you get into work 15 miles away, you've already had, you know, I should have said kilometers anyway, but some space away, you've already, you know, trashed the day of half the people who came into your orbit because one person trashed yours. So like we hand the hot potato off to other people in the same way we hand the love. So when you make somebody else's day better, they make somebody else's day better and so on and so forth and so on and so forth. So to me, it's not about me having personal contact with, you know, 8 billion or 79 billion by the time we're all, you know, said and done people. It's about making sure that uh, I'm affecting as many people as possible so they can affect as many people as possible. Because I'm very clear about one thing, and you, you know this if you read Little Landslides, which is my story, is that had my parents taken responsibility in themselves for being the best contributors to other people around them, I never would have suffered the way that I suffered. So each one of us can affect more than one life in a, in a very profound way, either positively or negatively or both. And we have to take responsibility for that. So for me, I remember I used to uh, volunteer in the jail system and I, I still do, but now with COVID, uh, it's much harder to get in. But, um, but I remember the first one of the first groups of um, male inmates that I had with me, and they said, "Why do you do this?" I said, "Because if I can change the attitudes and behaviors and, and feelings of one of you, if I can help you change your life, turn things around." all of my suffering will have been worth it because I know that there'll be an entire family system that will be positively affected and their family system will be positively affected and it will go on for generations and generations, one person. So one person at a time. No, I always say it with guests on the podcast that we're talking to one person. When, when someone's listening to this, got this in their ears, this is, this is what that, you know, this is for that one person. And we're talking to you. We're talking to you right now, whoever you are, we're talking to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, again, I've mentioned your books and I haven't actually asked you a question about them yet. So th this is the time. So you've authored an incredible six books. So as much as doing all this stuff, you've also are an accomplished author. Tell us about the books. Right. What's, what, what, what's the themes? Are they all similar themes or... Right. So all six. So there are six books. Um, first one is called Feed the Need. It's about conflict and communication. Um, I then wrote a teen edition, which is the same thing, but it's about, um, but it's written for teens. And then there's a, then the third book was Stuck You, which is about the change process. Um, and then there is a book, um, there's a book 
Uh, the fourth book is Power Play, which is about the stress, drama, and isolation that happens in organizations. Fifth book is My Story, which is Little Landsides. And then the sixth book is Pain Rebel that just came out last week. So, okay. yeah, that's, yeah. that's a lot. To I was like, <laughs> got them all in there. Woo! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and what made it important? Was it to reach more people, to write the books? Or- yeah, I, it was just people asked me, why don't you write a book about that? And I was like, sure. So I did because there was something that I could say about it. So I thought that that would be helpful, you know. And obviously, you're a, you're you're a mom. You know, you you do a lot of voluntary work. But let's let's talk for a minute. If you're mom, are you, would you encourage your children to read the books? Is it something that you want them to be aware of? Yeah. So um, the I didn't. I encourage my children to read Feed the Need Teen Edition. They've read Feed the Need before Teen Edition came out. So I encouraged them to read um, Feed the Need Teen Edition. I did not encourage them to read Little Landslides, which is my book, because it's a story about my, you know, my trauma history, because it's just so, it's written from the first person. It's very raw and personal. Um, Not that I didn't want them to know necessarily, but they're both empathetic. And I thought that would just be a lot for them. You know, that would just be a lot for them to to manage. And um, but now that they're, you know, almost uh, my one daughter is an adult, my younger daughter is almost an adult. If they pick it up now, that's okay. You know, we can do that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that there's a lot that they can benefit from in that. But frankly, they've been living with me all this time. They've probably been listening to my, you know, my stuff. They're like, enough, mom, we're all good. We don't need any more. We've heard all this nonsense. Yeah. So we'll, yeah, we won't ask the teenagers what they think about my not my teenagers. Well, you can ask other teenagers what they think about my book. They loved it. But my teenagers, we'll just, we'll just leave them aside. <laughs> no, and, and another thing from that. So, so you've done six books. This, this, your, your yeah. pain rebel is, is the most recent. Is there plans mm-hmm. for more? I mean, you know, where, where does this stop or are you all written out? think I'm all written out. I mean, I, you know, I, I mentioned, um, earlier too, I had, I suffered a traumatic brain injury three years ago. And so pain rebel had been mostly drafted before the brain injury. And it took another two plus years for about two years for it to come out because it just was like trying to focus my energy and my efforts and, um, just be able to get through that, um, from a brain standpoint was incredibly difficult. So I think there's going to be more books, but I'm going to have to go at them a very different way than I've ever done before. Um, there'll probably be a book about brain injury or, or chronic illness because it's something that I can speak to. Cause I know about it now. Um, but we'll see, you know, I think it's down the line. I didn't, I, when I wrote my first, first book, I didn't imagine I was going to ever write another one. Uh, so, and now I have six. So you know, who knows uh, what's to come. Maybe they'll be like, I'll be like Stephen King or, you know, Nora Higgins Clark or whatever, Mary Higgins Clark or whatever her name is. I'll just have like, you know, bookshelves and bookshelves of books, but not sure. And I, you know, I think it's important, you know, I, I, again, I've, I've spoken to a few authors on the podcast and it's yeah. important to, to, to believe what you're writing. Like you say, you're talking about things, you know, because, and, and again, this is the thing, when you're talking with your kids, you know, right. if they're authentic enough that if they know what's in the book because they hear it from mum all the time, then you've written the book right, haven't you? Because it is you, you know, that's what being a right. great author is, I suppose. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, when people read my books and I warn them about this now, because I heard it enough early on in the first, you know, few uh, books is that when you read it, you're going to hear my voice in your head. If you've ever talked to me, because I write how I, I, I write how I speak. So I write in like 
sentence fragments and whatever, because I want you to hear me the way that I'm talking to you. So it's going to be like we're sitting, you know, out on a, you know, veranda and having a cup of coffee or tea and we're going through the things that you need to hear. And one thing that kind of strikes me from that, and I, I've just realized how many times I say one thing, but obviously <laughs> so many things. Yeah, I only think one thing at the time. But you, you know, you've talked about the, about the, the 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 brain injury and things like that. People must think of you as this kind of superwoman. You know, you fix in other people's problems. But how much of that comes to vulnerability of you? Like you're sharing what you've been through, but you have to, do people have to know that actually, yes, I've struggled? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I, I, I think that what I, the message that I try to share, because, you know, whether it's through little landslides or any of my books, when I, you know, kind of tip my hat to my story is to say that it's not to say that I, 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 it's to give compassion for their struggle, but to hold them accountable for their recovery. And that's the message that I try to, to convey to all of my clients is that there's compassion for where they find themselves, how they got there. And there's accountability to get out because that's how I've had to hold myself, right? Is that I have compassion for how I got here, where I am, what my struggles are, but I also have, I hold myself accountable to get to someplace else or to manage it better or to, you know, get resources, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's again a great thing. And you, you said earlier on, you do the voluntary work, you you, you do your public speaking, you, you kind of give back a lot of the author, you a mom. How do you fit all this in? How does it? How is it possible? Um, well, so I do a lot less in the last few years than I used to. I think I was going on um, a lot of energy um, earlier uh, when my girls were younger and before the brain injury. It's been a lot different. My cadence and my capacity has really like been cut uh, dramatically over the last few years. But I find that what's changed too is that I am, if I am not completely committed to the cause, if I am not incredibly passionate about what I'm doing, I don't do it. And I used to, I think, take things on that were, I was kind of passionate or I kind of liked it or sure, I'll give my time to it. And now I just, because I have so little bandwidth, it, it has to be really super important um, to, to make that commitment. So I think for me, it's less about how much I'm doing and how much intention and passion I'm bringing to every moment. And I hope that your you know, listeners, whoever's listening today is really evaluating what are you doing that you love and feel good about and feel like you're, you know, giving more of yourself to the world when you do it and do more of that and all the other things, try to do less of those things because life is short and this is the one time around and it needs to have meaning and value for it to be fun. Great message. What's, what's Thank next? You. What's next for Dr. B? You're, sl- you're slowing down, but I cannot believe for a second you're <laughs> stopping anyway. <laughs> um, what's next? Well, I just launched my children, hopefully getting my kitchen done. That would be good. And, um, and I think, you know, just continuing on my mission to change the world one life at a time, I think, you know, speaking and coaching and, um, and yeah, really building communities uh, for people to, to share some of their, their experiences and be able to find healing in, in the, you know, the ears and the, you know, kind of words of others. And I mean, I, I think, you know, you've, you've, you've spoken so much today and it's so lovely. And 
I think what's brilliant as well is you've done this with a kitchen renovation going on at the same time, which this just shows this is you, you know, this is real. By the way, you know, I just want you to see that there was, this is me and my contractors passing notes to each other as we were talking, just FYI. We just, I just directed where the thermostat's going and where the thermostat is in my house in the, in the construction as we were talking. So I'm going to. Thank Without, God for the mute button. Thank you for the mute button. Without, and for but, me you know, putting my hand over my mouth as I spoke to them while, yeah, while I was on mute. So, yeah. And it just, you know, life doesn't stop, but, you know, that just shows sometimes you've just got to make things happen out there. You've just got to make, you've got to multitask and you've, you've got to fix the problem that needs fixing, as you said earlier on. You absolutely do. Yes. And then also take naps, take lots and lots of naps. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good advice. Where can um, people find you and your work? So I'm sure you've piqued so much interest today. So where, where thank you. you yeah. So you definitely look me up on my website, drbridgetcooper.com. Uh, you can look me up on Amazon, same way, Dr. Bridget Cooper. Um, I have all the books there on Amazon. You can friend me on Facebook, either Dr. Bridget Cooper or Bridget Cooper is my personal account, but it, it functions as my business account as well. And I'm on LinkedIn, also Bridget Cooper and Instagram, Dr. Bridget Cooper. So look me up, check me out. I've got a YouTube page that I haven't done a lot with over the years, but I've got all sorts of old videos that are kind of fun for people to get to know me a little bit better and yeah and connect with me and we can uh, go on this journey together and if you've got the chance to either speak to yourself or just give a message today that someone listening just might need it what's the final message you want to finish on today that you were bound by your birth for glory and abundance and joy and it is your <laughs> birthright to take it so whatever is standing in your way of embracing that fully move it get it out of the way and and go on with just all of the joy and energy that you can possibly absorb in this life fantastic message to finish on dr bridget thank, thank you. you so much for joining us today thank you i love being inside the orange i'm gonna go have one right now i think yeah my daughter by the way goes to syracuse university and they are the oranges so <laughs> <laughs> I love being here. <laughs> they've, they've come up on the Google searches sometimes, <laughs> but thank you. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Take care. So a massive thank you to Dr. Bridget for coming on and having a little chat and even more so in the middle of a kitchen renovation. So Dr. B, thank you so much. If you do want to find out anything else, obviously the links will all be in the description and show notes so you can find Dr. B's work. On next week's show, I am joined by actress Ionica Adriana. Um, a Romanian-born actress. She's going to be talking about acting, presenting, and working with people that are close to the podcast tarp, as in Born Anxious and, and Anna Kennedy. So I look forward to that, and we'll see you next week. So before we go today, as usual, goodbye and take care, and keep listening to find out how you can get in contact with the podcast. To get in touch with the podcast, you can find us at insidetheorange.co.uk, you can email us at insidethisorange at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Orange Watts, Orange W-H-A-T-S. On Instagram, Inside the Orange. On the Inside the Orange podcast Facebook page. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Richard Stevens, motivational speaker and creator of the Inside the Orange. All these links will be available in the description and show notes.